Good morning. We are in 1 Peter 1. We're looking at verses 22 to 25. Verse 22. Having purified your souls by the, your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, but the, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. May God bless the reading of his holy and inerrant word. In verses 3 through 12, Peter begins by recounting our great privileges, the blessings that are ours in the gospel as believers on Jesus. Beginning in verse 13, Peter shows us the therefore, the implication of these great privileges in our lives. And Peter is continuing that theme in verses 22 through 25. Peter's consistent pattern is to exhort us the Christian duty and then quickly remind us of the grace of God. The imperatives, the commands, always rest on the promise and the gift of grace. We can never obey in our own strength. Our obedience is equipped and enabled by the grace of God in the gospel. Augustine fa famously prayed, My hope is only in your exceeding great mercy, Lord. Give what you command, command what you will. And that is what Peter is saying over and over again. Verse 22, Peter wants us to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And we'll explore the indicatives of grace that stand behind the imperative the command to love one another. We will look at the way that God blesses us by his mercy and grace so that we can love one another earnestly from a pure heart. He begins with, with brotherly love, which is what he wants from us. Brotherly love earnestly from a pure heart is what is required of us and it is rooted in having been purified having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So behind brotherly love is this purification that takes place. And Peter says that this purification takes place by your obedience to the truth. And Peter is talking about their conversions here, when they responded in faith and repentance to the gospel. Peter says the source of all of that is the new birth. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. So see the chain of Peter's thinking. Yes, brotherly love needs to flourish in your life. Where do you get it from? As a consequence of a purified soul, which comes in wake of conversion to the truth, which comes from God, by the work of the Holy Spirit, God gives new birth into the heart of a sinner and God uses the means, the ministry of the word. So five stages 
of the journey. One, brotherly love. Two, the purification that took place. Three, obeying the truth, conversion. Four, the new birth. Five, the means that God uses his word. So first of all, sincere and earnest brotherly love. Peter starts with this objective in our lives. He wants sincere brotherly love. Peter says that the fruit of purification is sincere brotherly love. And the language that Peter uses to describe this kind of love is important. It is sincere brotherly love. The Greek word is anapokritis, unhypocritical. The background came from the context of a Greek play where the actors would wear a mask as they adopted the persona that they were playing. And Peter is saying, I want love among Christians that does not wear a mask. Sincere brotherly love, no mask, no pretense, straightforward, real love. Now, love like that is, is risky to us. We, we wear masks for reasons. We're ashamed. We do, we do not want others to see us, so we wear a mask. We build a wall, we hide, we keep people at arm's length. We are afraid of getting hurt. And if we get too close to other people, then, then we, we're going to get hurt. So we build a wall, we build a barrier. We wear a mask. We feel vulnerable to love like this. And yet Peter is saying, when you become a Christian, something happens to and in you so that you can take the mask off. The second thing he tells us about this brotherly love is that it is earnest. You see that word, you heard that word in verse 22. Sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly. The English Standard Version, the ESV, translates the word that, is, that we use as earnest as it can refer either to intensity or duration. What I mean by that is Peter might mean I want you to love earnestly, meaning passionately, deeply, fervently, deeply. Or he can also mean I want you to love unrelentedly, you know, unrelentingly, un, unremittingly, a long love. But either way, the point is clear. Love that Christians are to show one another is heartfelt and lasting. It is not superficial. It is not on again, off again, blowing hot and cold in the wind. It is stable and strong. Now, where does a love like that come from? We're commanded to love like this. How can we obey this command? With a love like this. That is deep and is long. We're afraid of getting hurt. We do not want anyone to get close. How are we going to love one another like this? Which leads to the second point. Step one, love one another. Step two, Peter says such a love comes having purified yourself. You purified yourself into sincere brotherly love. The past tense is important. Peter is not now commanding you to become pure. This is a declaration that 
his first readers had become pure at some point in the past. When did it take place? Speedily on to step three. By obedience to the truth, having purified yourselves when? By your obedience to the truth. So the moment of inner purification took place when they obeyed the truth. The summons to believe the gospel, to repent of sin, to trust in Christ. Peter is talking about their conversion. And Peter is telling us that when a person becomes converted, gets converted, there are many things going on. And here Peter mentions two in particular. Firstly, conversion brings cleansing. When you obeyed the truth and you came to Christ, you did not stay dirty. You did not stay guilty. You purified yourself, not by anything that you did or said, but by trusting in the Lord Jesus, whose blood can make the foulest clean. Before the judgment seat of God, your guilty stains were washed away. It is what Pete Paul means in 1 Corinthians 6 verses 9 to 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Verse 11, and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This is what happens when you become a Christian. You are washed and sanctified and justified. Or in Peter's terms, you purify yourself by your obedience to the truth. When you are converted, you are made clean. Do you see how that helps with the difficult task of taking the mask off and learning to love one another sincerely, earnestly from a pure heart? Peter is saying you do not need to be ashamed anymore because you are clean. You do not need to be ashamed. You can take the mask off. In Christ Jesus, your sin is forgiven. You have purified yourself. You are clean now. And you do not need to be afraid anymore. You are secure in Jesus Christ. Ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven, accepted before God, renewed by his grace. Never to be lost. Nothing to snatch you from his hand. You can take the mask off. You are secure in Christ. You can come out from behind your walls. And that is what Peter is calling us to do. But you only get it when grace erupts in your heart and makes you clean. And you only get that when you obey the truth. That is the first thing that Peter says. Conversion brings cleansing. Second, conversion is an act of obedience. You see that in verse 22. You obeyed the truth, he says. So the invitation in the gospel, it's not, that, it's, not, it's not a negotiation. It is not just an offer of a wonderful possibility for you to take or leave. It is a divine summons by God the King. It is a command. God commands all men everywhere to repent and to come to a knowledge of the truth. We should have a very high doctrine of the sovereignty of God. God is the one who saves sinners. 
We do not save ourselves. But sometimes we mistake, we, mist, we mistake it as if to suggest that we have no part to play in our conversion. But Peter is saying that repentance and faith is something you must do. God will not do it for you. It is your will that responds to the offer of the gospel. It is your obligation to answer when Jesus calls. You must do it. You must obey today without delay. Every now and again, I'm running to people who tell me, Pastor, I would love to be a Christian, but I'm waiting for God to do something first. To zap me in some way. And I think Peter would say, dear friend, if you are waiting for God to zap you before you answer his call, you will never settle the great question of your response to the good news. The hymn writer said, come ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. Not the righteous, not the righteous sinners Jesus came to call. Which is the point, you must obey the truth without delay. You should not look or appeal to any other consideration. Jesus commands you to come. Come. Trust him. Repent of your sin. Turn from life your way. Bend the knee to Jesus the King and do it now without hesitation, without any excuse, without any delay. Obey the truth. So step one is sincere brotherly love. Love without a mask. Risky, honest, vulnerable love. Made possible by step two. You purified your souls. You got clean. That is how you can take the mask off. Step three, you heard the gospel. You said, that is me. I am a sinner. I am guilty in God's sight. I need mercy. Only Jesus has mercy for me. Lord Jesus, forgive me, deliver me, rescue me, save me. I have no other hope but you. And he did. He saved us. And the fourth step is since you have been born again. And all of that since you have been born again. Not of perishable seed but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Behind conversion, behind repentance and faith is the secret work of God the Holy Spirit in the human heart. Ephesians 2 verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Conversion is our obedience to the truth. We repent, we believe, but the new birth is nothing we can do. We are powerless, we are dead. And then as Peter puts it back in verse 3, 1 Peter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It is a glorious, sovereign work of free grace that brings the dead to life.
Well, that raises some important questions. The absolute sovereignty of God. It is all his initiative. We are utterly passive, unable to alter our dead spiritual condition until he gives us the new birth, new life. Yet Peter is saying in this letter, give a reason to everyone that asks for the hope that you have with gentleness and respect. Proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Peter is saying, I want you to be on mission together. That is Peter's agenda. But does the sovereignty of God in salvation render mission pointless? Does it render evangelism useless? Is there nothing that one human being can do in the life of another by means of which they may pass from death to life? It is a good question, which leads us on to point five, the means that God uses to effect the new birth. That is where step five comes in. It's one of the most extraordinary, thrilling features of God's way of working. Is that he uses means. Peter tells us what means God uses to effect the new birth in dead sinners. He says that we have been born again. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. This is a bombshell passage. It provides all the wind a preacher needs in his sails to get him into a pulpit. I wish I was in a pulpit, with confidence. You see what it says? It is electric. It is saying when you open your Bible and you explain to someone who Jesus is and why he came and what it means to follow him, when you say what this book says, even though you are nothing more than grassy flesh, which is what Peter says we are, He's quoting Isaiah 40 there in verse 24. Do you see that? Peter says that you are a big clod of earth, grass, a lump of sod speaking to another lump of sod. That is you and me. That is the epitome of powerlessness, of temporary life. The flowers of the grass, they fall and wither. How in the world, how can it be that one Lump of grass telling another lump of grass is the word of God that brings this mighty change. But that is what Peter says happens. It is absolutely thrilling that God works by his word to give new life to the spiritually dead. Peter is saying whenever you proclaim the living and abiding word of God, there is a possibility that right before you, will happen a Lazarus moment. You remember the story of Lazarus. Lazarus has been dead for three days. He is dead, dead, dead. He is so dead that Jesus said, roll the stone away. That when Jesus said, roll the stone away, they are worried about the smell. He is as dead as can be. 
and Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the grave. How does he do it? How does he do it? Is there some strange ritual? Does he have a secret defibrillator up his sleeve? What does he do? He just speaks. Lazarus, come forth. And death comes to heal at its master's voice like an obedient puppy. And Lazarus walks alive again from the tomb. And Peter is saying, that is what has happened to you if you are a Christian today. You might have heard the gospel a million times, but one day, one day the same gospel you have heard over and over and over became life from the dead. You heard the voice of Jesus say, come forth, and you came forth alive. It caused the new birth in your heart, mysteriously by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is saying that is what has happened to his first readers. That is what has happened to all of us if we are believers. He is saying that is what can happen if you will just take the risk and open your mouth and speak for Jesus and tell that friend about him. It could be a Lazarus moment right in front of you when the dead hear the voice of the Son of God and live. He speaks and listening to his voice, new life the dead receive. The mournful, broken hearts rejoice, the humble poor believe. Hear him, ye deaf, his praise, ye dumb, your loosened tongues employ. Ye blind, behold, your Saviour come, and leap, ye lame, for joy. Who would not spend their days engaged in this? What a thrill! The possibility that just once, just once in a lifetime of proclaiming Jesus, a dead sinner might come to life, is so worth it. What a thrill to be the instrument in the hands of God in raising the dead. Faithful preaching today faces steep competition. We carry around in our pockets a screen that pumps entertainment and information. More information, more rubbish than we could ever hope to process. And it schools us into being consumers of bright, shiny data at a rapid pace 24-7. And then you come to church. And according to Peter, there is... A lump of grass talking about an ancient book for about 30 odd minutes. And how can it possibly compete? Preaching has one thing going for it. When the living and abiding word of God is preached, dead sinners come to life. The dead are raised at the voice of Jesus speaking in the scriptures. Peter is saying we should come expecting resurrections. As the word of God is proclaimed, sinners pass from death to life. That is what we should be looking for, praying for, longing for, expecting resurrections. Maybe today you are not a Christian. Please understand that the voice of Jesus, the great King, is calling you and you must render him obedience. 
He is calling you to repentance, to turn from life your way and to bend the knee to him and accept life his way. Trust him. You must obey the truth and you must do it today, right now. And when you do, you will discover, as many of us have, that the grace that enabled you to flee him, flee to him, the same grace caused new birth in your heart, even in the midst of your spiritual death. But do not wait for God to do something. God is calling you today, right now, come today, right now and obey his call, his summons. What are you waiting for? Come and trust in Christ, the perfect saviour of sinners. May God bless the ministry of the word for his glory and for your eternal good. Amen.